As the healthcare threat landscape heats up, what should entities be doing to better protect themselves? Hi, I'm Tom Field, Vice President of Editorial with Information Security Media Group. It's my pleasure to be speaking today with Rohit Balani. He's the CEO of FishMe. Rohit, it's a pleasure to be talking to you again. Thank you. So, Rohit, so much has happened since the last time we spoke. We've seen some high-profile ransomware attacks against Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital and other healthcare entities. What do you see that some of these incidents have in common? Yeah, I think, well, firstly, to take a step back, it's unfortunate that organizations where life and death is on the line are being targeted in this fashion using ransomware. And I I just think we're seeing the beginnings of it. At this point, every week, even in just mainstream media, we hear about two or three new hospitals that are uh, getting compromised and essentially ransomware being put on the systems, which for some people that don't know what that is, it's the systems getting uh, locked up in a sense that files are encrypted, files are locked up, and um, the victims are offered the option to pay up a, a ransom using a Bitcoin-like currency, so there's a, a attribution is hard. One of the core commonalities that we're seeing across the board is that social engineering is the vector of choice for the attackers, and of course, because they're not showing up in person, it's happening via email, uh, so it's email-based social engineering, if you want to call it phishing, and the attackers have gotten quite evolved in how the uh, sophistication level uh, has also advanced very rapidly just in a couple of months on that front. So, Rohit, you and I know the answer, but lots of people are asking the questions, why healthcare organizations, and how are they uniquely vulnerable to these attacks? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of reasons there. One is, you know, traditionally, when I say traditionally, if you look back a few years uh, in the information security space, the financial institutions were uh, the primary buyer of cutting-edge technology. That's changed a lot with the evolution of the threat landscape where you have nation-state actors, the ransomware players. Uh, a lot of the other industry verticals are now getting compromised, be it manufacturing, technology, and healthcare, as we're talking about here. You know, a lot of these industries outside of financial services and, and government contracting are actually playing catch-up on their technological uh, profile, their defenses, and the bad guys know that. And so there are softer targets to go after to start with. Uh, healthcare specifically, when you look at what's at stake, like I said, it's life and death. You know, on a ransomware basis, if, you know, a core technician system is locked up that's controlling an MRI machine, that's controlling uh, some laparoscopic surgery, surgery system, uh, it's life and death on the line. So there's there's a, a lot of motivation, I guess, for the victim to react quick and resolve the problem. Uh, in other cases where the attackers are going after the data versus locking up and uh, ransoming, so as to say, the data is extremely valuable too, way more valuable than just uh, credit cards because, you know, they'll probably get that anyways uh, via these compromises if it wasn't ransomware, but, you know, they're also getting access to their healthcare information, social security numbers. It's just a gold mine of data if you think about it from an identity thieves perspective or uh, someone that wants to leverage that even from a nation-state perspective for their own clinical trials. So there's just multiple angles to it. But coming back to ransomware, I think because it's life and death on the line, a lower technical bar to compromise, those are probably the two num- two reasons um, this industry is getting hit hard right now. So, Rohit, how do you advise entities to respond to these extortion attempts? Should they pay the money, as Hollywood Presbyterian did, or should they turn this over to law enforcement to fight back? You know, I think giving a general sweeping answer is really hard. It's dependent on the situation. 
you know, it's, it's a business decision. So if you think about, you know, someone who, an organization that isn't prepared for this, and when I say that, so one of the core elements here is when they're locking up your system, if you had great backups, um, you could say, you know what, I can just get my system up and running off a, off a very recent backup, and I don't need to worry about this. Uh, unfortunately, even organizations that have backup strategies focus on incremental backups, and that really doesn't pan out in this case because you're only getting a delta, so as to say, um, of a clean version. You're not getting a complete clean version. So backup strategies are very important. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if you focus on the actual attack vector, it is coming via phishing. That's the predominant attack vector in. And, you know, as I've said before, you know, just the technological defenses alone clearly aren't working. They have to work in unison with a very conditioned employee population that is skeptical enough of emails that they're receiving to say, should I be clicking on this link? Is this out of context? Is this, um, you know, does this make sense? And part two is if they find something suspicious, rapidly report it to their internal IT security team so it can be acted upon and it's not one of those situations where three days go by and there was, you know, 20 other people who said, oh, yeah, I saw that email. I thought it was suspicious, but, you know, I figured I'd take care of it. I think those are really the two key areas people can work on. Now, going back to your more uh, more specifically your question of how they should react, if they had these controls in place and they can recover, well, then, you know, I think the answer is pretty clear. But, you know, in the case of Hollywood Presbyterian, honestly, I couldn't blame them. If they didn't have these systems, and I don't know that for certain, but it sounds like it, you know, what are they going to do? At the end of the day, it was a $17,000 ask versus turning away patients and, more importantly, not being able to serve the patients that are actually in their facilities at that point. I think the answer was pretty clear from a business standpoint for them, and um, it seems to be the, what, what the de facto response mechanism today is due to lack of preparedness, and I think uh, that's what the attackers know as well. What about the argument that if you pay the ransom, then all you're doing is is validating the attacker's reason for attacking you in the first place, and you make yourself more of a target for another time? Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And and you know, like I said, it's 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 really difficult unless you're in the shoes of the person having to make that decision, evaluating it from a business risk standpoint, knowing all the factors in play. Uh, I you know, it goes back to the old school, you know, kidnapping. Do you pay the kidnapper the ransom, and are you just promoting their behavior? It's a really tough answer. Uh, you know, it's, it's something that has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. The part that's really interesting to me is that I did read a few articles where uh, apparently the FBI even advocated paying the ransom. So that was sort of surprising to me where law enforcement in situations said that's your best path forward. Um, I'm not saying that, it's, but I think it's on a per-case basis. So, Rohit, what can you tell us about how ransomware itself is evolving and how organizations should respond to this evolution? Yeah, so, you know, a, a lot of uh, the recent strains of ransomware that we've seen, and they, they have very uh, cryptic names, no pun intended on that one, uh, you know, Tesla Crypt, Crypto Wall, Locky, it's uh, intimidating in the names in itself. But, you know, we have a, a dedicated research team that's analyzing these and keeping our customers ahead of the curve, so as to say, on as far as, being able to pass on the intelligence and react rapidly as we see these new strains of malware come in that support ransomware. Um, what we're finding is that while there are some commonalities in some of the, 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 the recent strains, there's also been an evolution. So what do I mean by that? Some of the commonalities we found was, uh, well, email is the attack vector. Uh, what they also did was there were files that were attached, and it required the potential victim to actually open the, 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 the attached file, believing the story in the email. 
the few common cases, it was a zip file with, with um, when you unzipped it and opened it, there was uh, actually obfuscated JavaScript in there, which then acted as what we call the loader system. So that essentially went out, reached out to some server out on the internet controlled by the, the bad guys and pulled down the actual uh, malware to do what it had to. So if you just looked at the file attached to the email, which a lot of people focus on that, let's put that into a sandbox, is this bad? There was really nothing bad about that file. That was merely the loader. In other cases, with the evolution, they've gotten smarter to say, well, uh, let's just put in a Word document or a, a spreadsheet where we request the user who's going to open this file to actually enable macros. And when they do enable the macros, we'll actually leverage that to use system calls. So these are things that are occurring on the system. It's almost fileless malware because they're not actually going and pulling another file. The, the leveraging capabilities of the operating system that macros have access to to then perform the, the operation that they intend to uh, and then convert it into a ransomware situation. So long story short, you know, the, the technical battle of trying to identify these at the endpoint or at the perimeter is a cat and mouse game. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to block as many of these as possible. Because repeatedly I look at it as I'm like, when is the real business case of accepting zip files via email as attachments a legitimate one? And most organizations block it, but the bad guys are good at finding out which ones don't. When is it a good business case to say, yeah, let's allow macro-enabled documents through? But apparently there's enough organizations letting them in. So at that point, you know, I, I have to speculate to say there's probably some business case, and you have to rely on the end user's judgment to say, is this what you're intending to do? And, and then the whole conditioning factor comes in again there. Now, Rohit, in addition to ransomware, we're also seeing greater incidents of business email compromise. What trends do you see? And how do you recommend that organizations amend their defensive strategies to counter? Yeah, business email compromise, you know, it's a fairly uh, new term and being coined that way, but, um, you know, it's existed for a long time. It is old school social engineering via email. And actually in this particular case, business email compromise, that is, technically there's no malware involved. So there's no link to click on which downloads malware, no file to open that downloads malware. It's much more of a let me social engineer the person to give up some information or to wire money, um, all of which are valuable. So there was a, a, a whole string of attacks that occurred in 2015, and I guess they're probably still going around, uh, which was related to um, what, what they call CEO impersonation, which is a subset of business email compromise, where they emulated the CEO sending an email to a finance person asking them to wire money out to a certain account, which, of course, as you can imagine, was controlled uh, by the attackers. Um, there have been estimates out there that the that developed nations in 2015 lost $2 billion with a B dollars to those types of attacks. We've seen a, a, a recently an evolution in sort of the modus operandi of business email compromise as well as the predominant attack being one where a high-level executive is being emulated, similar to the previous case, but in this case they're hitting the HR organization or payroll and asking for W2-related information to be uh, to be sent out, um, and again, I think this is much more to do with, well, there's not a direct financial impact, but there's a lot of privacy loss, identity theft occurring en masse, so the attackers figured rather than hit individual consumers to try to compromise their identities, well, hey, if I can get, you know, uh, 500 or 1,000 W-2s in one shot, uh, it's it's much better bang for the buck, and this is a very prevalent attack attack that's going around uh, there have been some pretty large organizations, Fortune 500, that have made the headlines with um, having been compromised, and then there's smaller ones. So it's 
it's across the board. It's kind of hard to say, hey, if you had this particular technology, you'd block it. I, I really don't know of any technology today that would be uh, a viable protective mechanism because there is no malware. It would have to have the smarts of a human being to say, that's just not right. So to bring this back to healthcare organizations, how can countermeasures against ransomware and business email compromise actually fit into healthcare entities' HIPAA compliance strategies? Yeah, so, you know, at Frishme, we have a lot of healthcare customers. It's actually the number three top vertical, industry vertical that we serve. Uh, so we have several hundreds of uh, healthcare institutions as, as customers. And as I said, you know, the challenges are you have a workforce that typically wasn't used to being as vigilant as compared to financial services, but you also have a workforce that needs to process and act things very quickly. You know, talk about uh, nurse practitioners or you talk about doctors. They have very limited periods of time to be able to do these things. They've got important jobs and saving lives, essentially, literally that. Um, what, unfortunately, what we find is that if you look at the regulations in the space, you know, be it HIPAA compliance and things of that nature, they're far behind the curve as compared to the threat landscape. And so there, there's an increasingly, I, I kind of look at it as a Venn diagram that's getting increasingly disjointed if compliance was one set and security was another. And it's unfortunate for the folks that have to balance between the two. Compliance has to happen, um, but then you leave yourself open to, to, to real security threats. So I think the key in these situations is to say, okay, look, let's take care of the compliance bit, that there's no way around that. But when it, let, let's really focus on the core threats to our organization that we really need our employees roped into because they have very minimal bandwidth given their important jobs that they have to do outside of what they do, security-wise, that is. And, and so, it, you know, even when it comes to trying to condition them, train them on, on these threats, uh, one of the key factors and the reasons that a lot of these healthcare institutions adopt our technology is that we really focus on making it very succinct and impactful. Um, you know, if we simulate a, a phishing threat that's a ransomware or business email compromise, for example, and the person falls for it in the simulated scenario, they presented uh, on-the-spot training that lasts for about 60, 90 seconds maybe in a very engaging format. It's an infographic. It's an annotated screenshot of the email they received telling them exactly what the indicators were that they should have paid attention to, and then we let them move on to their daily jobs. I think that's where we're seeing the mindset shift in a positive way where back in the day folks were used to compliance-oriented training saying, let's put them through a 20, 30-minute CBT. One, the folks didn't have time to do that. And almost is, is to, in my mind, it's a punitive measure for employees where they have to sit through uh, 30 minutes of training on a topic that they essentially don't care about. So you know, I think we're seeing that trend changing for the positive, and it's actually very exciting for us. And we're just uh, continually working with our customers to keep them protected against these threats. Very good, Rohit. Always a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for your time and your insight today. Thank you. We've been talking about ransomware and business email compromise in the healthcare landscape. I've been speaking with Rohit Balani, CEO of FishMe. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.